Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, well, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, I have my friend Andrew Lee. Andrew um, was a youth pastor for several years, but before that, he was um, one of my staff members. I think that's where I first met you, right? I, um, I was hired at Thanksgiving Church to be the youth pastor there. And Andrew was a college student at the church, and so he was one of my teachers. And so I got to know Andrew in that capacity, and um, and then pretty soon you went and you became a youth pastor yourself in uh, Temecula. Was that your first first spot? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know my my experience with you, Andrew, was that um, I thought you were a phenomenal a teacher. I thought you were a phenomenal teacher. I thought you were an amazing, you know, leader in our ministry. And so um, I always had such a great experience with you. And I really, I really appreciated, you know, your genuine and sincere faith and like your heart for the students. Like you were always, you know, it was obvious that you really cared for your students and you were really wanting to disciple them in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the fruit was good, man. I, there are a lot of your students that, you know, really fell in love with the Lord and really wanted to know the Lord more. And just being real, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Like it's hard to be a, you know, a teacher at a youth group and have real impact on the kids. I remember when, you know, I, I was a student in youth group, man, we made like a bunch of our teachers cry, man. <laughs> <laughs> I have vivid memories of like several of them crying and being so frustrated with us because we're not like, you know, we're not trying to learn about God. We're just like messing around in class and, you yeah. know, having fun together. And, you know, like when I look back, you know, from the other side, I'm like, oh man, it must have been so difficult for these teachers. It's it's, it's hard, you know, and now you've been a youth pastor for a good amount of time. How long, um, how long were you youth pastoring for? Oh man, all collectively, I want to say about seven years. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, because uh, I did that small youth group in Temecula for a year, and then I moved to Chicago to uh, attend seminary out there. The three years out there, and then three years in New York. Okay, and and so I think all together was about seven to eight years. Yeah, so um. Yeah, tell us a little bit of your story. How did you get into youth pastoring? Yeah, so I think I had felt the call for a long time, but it was actually during that time in college where um, pastors like you and uh, a few others at Thanksgiving and outside um, started to affirm in me, you know, the calling and the gifting because I, I think I didn't really have a language for it because, like, I would just see, you know, pastors preach or what they did at church. But I never really had a language for what ministry looked like and what the calling looked like. And so having a lot of people around me, you know, believe in me, I think that was around like 2015, 2014, um, where people kind of started to give me opportunities to, to preach and to lead. And, um, and I started to see the fruit of it, you know, and I, and I realized that it wasn't about me. It wasn't about, you know, what I was good at or anything like that, but it was just a call. And so I think that around 2015, I just couldn't avoid it anymore. And and it was uh, actually when uh, Pastor Paul kind of reached out to me and was like, hey, there's this opening at this church. 
I think you should take it. And I was like, I was like, what? Because I had never kind of, I had never really considered myself, um, I guess, ready or in a place where I could um, lead a ministry in that way. But I think that once I started doing it, I realized that God had been preparing me for years, you know, just leading small group or leading a house church in college or leading prayer meetings. And, and that a lot of those things uh, was pre- uh, they were preparation for what was to come in ministry. Right. Yeah. So tell me about that first, you know, that first position in Temecula. What was that like for you? What was the good uh, and the bad? <laughs> right. Um, I, I think because uh, it was so small. Yeah. Like, I think there was junior high through college represented in that room, and there was about 15 of us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because it was so small, I think I got to know everyone pretty well, <laughs> very yeah. quickly. Um, I got to learn everyone's names in the first few weeks. Um, I got to just hang out with them. It was really easy to organize things because I think with a smaller group, there generally comes um, a greater freedom than, let's say, at a bigger church. Um, I think the challenges were because there was no strong culture um, set up there. Um, And and that's no indication of uh, bad leadership beforehand. It's just I think that they had gone through, you know, several changes and... um, yeah, and, and, and just because the vision wasn't clear before I got there, I think that um, it was difficult to get anything started in terms of like culture building or building a DNA or building identity. And I think in that particular ministry, and and because I live so far, it was hard to um, get momentum in terms of like this is the vision of the ministry. Um, but, but the blessing, of course, is that it taught me a lot about you know, pastoring and just loving kids and loving people. Because yeah. sometimes yeah. all we could do was hang out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because there wasn't yeah. really like a, a spiritual culture built up. But but to this day, I, I'm very thankful for a lot of the relationships I was able to meet in that season, you know? For sure. I think, you know, that, that type of situation is fairly typical for a lot of um, youth pastors, right? Because most churches are pretty small. Right. And... Yeah their youth programs are fairly small, especially when we're talking about these Korean churches, you know, like a lot of these Korean churches are pretty small and their, their youth EM, you know, sometimes it's just all together, (laughs) you know? And um, I know a number of people in that type of a situation. And I, I just feel like, man, it's, it's really tough. Like that's that situation is really tough. In you know, we'll talk about some of your other situations where you went to larger churches um, in a bit. But when you're dealing with like a small group, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and like you said, what you generally have is you don't have a strong culture that's been built up. Right. Yeah. Right. Like at bigger churches, they kind of have an expectation every, like, because it's been going. They have a program. There's usually more money. Right. And just being real, when you can pay when you can pay your leaders more, there's gonna be a longer tenure. Right? Like just generally speaking, right? So a lot of, you know, smaller churches, they're gonna pay a lot less. Um, they're you know, the expectation is less, right? And um and so what you know, what would you recommend to youth pastors that are in that situation where they're dealing with maybe small groups, maybe thirty or less people, and like you know they're just 
they're they're struggling with it because I talk to I talk to pastors in the situation all the time. Yeah, um, I think I think that's a a great question because I think that um, I think I wish that I had someone to talk me through it and and kind of give me a lot of this information when I was uh, a younger minister and just starting out. But I think that two two of the big things that I would I would, you know, speak to pastors in that position are, um, number one, know your boundaries because, yeah, I mean, if you get part-time pay, you know, <laughs> like you should do part-time work, right? Yeah. And, and I feel like, um, so, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, it's not like I hate Korean culture because, like, there's so much in Korean culture I love, right? Even in mm-hmm. church culture that I love and learn from. But I feel like uh, one of the things that, is subconsciously imparted to us growing up is is this kind of like over the top sacrificial culture where you know um, we're not serving God unless we sacrifice everything and anything and to the degree where you, like you might not be happy most of the time and you just have to do it and 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 I think that this is mostly reflected when we get our payment where. It's almost like we're taught that we shouldn't get paid a lot, you know, <laughs> and we should like that, right? Because, yeah. because uh, you know, serving God should cause suffering, right? <laughs> but, but I think that um, I would, and, and I have been, you know, kind of counseling, you know, younger ministers and pastors that I think, you know, you should, you should do the work required for what you're getting paid for, you know? And, and if it's part-time, I think that you should have the freedom to find other work and, and have that balance um, in addition to serving this ministry, you know. But if you're, you know, a full-time pastor, I think that you should, you know, ask what that means. Get clarity on what the expectations are. And, and when you're asked for things that are outside of those boundaries, not that you, you know, argue or, or fight the system, but I think that you should you know, make it very clear what you signed up for. And, um, and, uh, if what they're asking of you is, is beyond that, then I think you should make that clear. Um, another thing I would bring up is, um, is I, I think that you have to know the lane to which you are called in this season, right? Um, that, that your ministry isn't supposed to look like, Saddleback. <laughs> your, mm-hmm. your ministry isn't supposed to look like uh, Mike Todd at Transformation Church, right? Like, oh, or it might be. Like, I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. This is that might be God's will for your life, but I think that what created so much anxiety in me was that I I saw all these kind of model, well, these like quote unquote ministry success stories, and I was like, that's gonna be me, right? <laughs> yeah. And if it's not, then I'm a failure, right? And yeah. uh, and going in with that mentality, it, it kind of set me up to fail because I I only had these kind of YouTube examples of ministers, or I had um, books that I was reading about people who started these great movements and revivals. But I would just counsel people that all you need is to be who you, who God has called you to be, right? And the only place in life you have to be is where God has called you to be right now, you know, and. Yeah. And I think I needed someone to remind me of that, like every step of the way. And, and I think it would have saved me a lot of time and energy had I known that. Yeah, no, that's really good, man. I, I, you know, I feel like the thing is pastors 
have to wear so many hats, right? It's like, like you have to be a great speaker. You have to be a great, you know, psychiatrist. You know, you got to be like a business CEO. You know, you have to be like a theologian. <laughs> you have to be like, there's like so many different things that you, that you're uh, expected to do. And it's easy to, um, you know, it's, it's easy to see how you're not measuring up in, in one of those areas. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, um, and, and the truth is like, nobody's good at all those things. Like literally no one is. Right. And one exactly. of the hard things is when you're working at a small ministry, you're doing it all. Like in a lot of cases, like you know, you're leading worship too, and you're preparing the slides. <laughs> yeah, like you're you're literally doing everything. And you know, and it, when you're at a, a bigger church or a more mature ministry, what you're able to just do your lane, right? You know, and you've got other people doing a lot of that other stuff, right. but you know, kind of the smaller the ministry, the more you're expected to do all these different things. And, um, and just being real, that's hard. Like it's hard, like, um, it, it's hard to, it's hard to make peace with, Hey, these are the things that I'm good at and it's okay that I'm not as good at some of these other areas. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I I think, I I think that was like a, a constant struggle, um, at small and big churches, um, where, I think that so much was expected of me and and I think that it was almost shameful for me to admit that there's certain things like where I there's some areas I don't know what I'm doing, you know. Um mm-hmm. when they expected me to, you know, make a spreadsheet for all these like kids going to youth, you know, in the youth group and and going to retreat and I was just like, man, I there's nothing in my seminary experience to prepare me for this. <laughs> you know? For sure, yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I was, you know, taught to read the word and translate it and 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 then um give it in a in a sermon, you know, and, and and there's just so much that you know I wasn't equipped to do. Um but then I, I what I realized is that there's so many people who are good at that. You know, there's so many people who are way better than me at many things at most things even you know at church and and i think that it was only you know when i kind of you know started going to other ministries and 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 seeing like how churches run that i was like hey this is actually a healthier way right Mm -hmm. there's teaching pastors and counseling pastors and executive pastors and administrative pastors and I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I wish that I could, you know, I could have replicated that, you know, in these kind of smaller ministries. Um, but yeah, so I, I think definitely, you know, I felt very stretched in, especially when I would lead worship, preach, and then try to lead a small group. <laughs> yeah. And then it's always funny for me when I'm like, so what did you think about my sermon? <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. And that was always really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And and just being real like one of the the big difficulties I feel like in pastoring is um you can't how do I put this? Like when you inherit a group, when you get a group, mm-hmm. right? Like th- those people are all different places. Right? Yeah. Like I've spoken I've spoken for groups where it didn't seem like anybody was really passionate about God. <laughs> like right I, and Absolutely. <laughs> i've i've led you know i've led ministries where you know 
like I, when I was at Thanksgiving church, I remember I would tell God all the time, God, I'm so thankful because I felt like he kept sending us hungry people. Yeah. Like that's a blessing for a pastor, right? Absolutely. Because I've also led in contexts where the culture or the group seems very apathetic. They're not very hungry. Right. And, um, and just being real, that's like, that's really tough. And so when you're a youth pastor and you're taking over a group, I mean, just, I'm just going to be real at most churches that I see, most of these groups are fairly apathetic and most of the, um, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that you find people that are really hungry for God when you're just coming in and taking over a group. Yeah. Right. Like that. And, and just be real as a pastor, that's tough. It's really tough. Because think about it, like your your job is to disciple people, um, but one of the distinctions I always make is like you can't teach people who don't have vision for what you want to teach them. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. Like you've got to you've got to give them vision first, and then they'll want to hear your teaching. But especially when you're first coming into a lot of these groups, like dude, like they don't care about what you're, <laughs> you know, what you want to teach them. And and the reality is, you you mentioned it, but like. Look, in seminary, they teach you a lot of theology. Right, yeah. Right? So you're getting all this theology, and you're basically being trained to teach people theology. But I don't know about you. What I found is when I, especially when I first go into groups, I cannot start teaching them a bunch of theology. They will just zone out in five minutes. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Right? They don't care about your theology. (laughs) Yeah, they they really don't. I I, I think... (sighs) Honestly, like I think that when I consider like how most of our churches do youth group, I I really question now like if that's the most effective model, you know. And and that's I think that was revealed to me most clearly when we were in the pandemic, right? Because I think when everything shut down and everything was online, all of a sudden, I think I think what we had built these ministries upon was revealed you know just like you know when an earthquake comes kind of reveals the strength of your foundation i felt like when the pandemic came it kind of revealed the foundation on which these ministries were built on um so if your ministry for example was dependent on these big events right um these big retreats um every semester or uh, these kind of big revival nights or praise nights, um, then then all of a sudden when those were taken away, kind of it kind of revealed that these were the pillars and foundations that it was built on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what it revealed to me is just the things that truly matter, like prayer and discipleship and relationship. These things continued even when we were online and we were, you know, uh, we we were just meeting over zoom and FaceTime and stuff like that. And I remember just spending just hours counseling students um, through, you know, everything from depression, anxiety, things with their parents. Um, just, they're just so tired of being at home and people who are questioning their faith during the pandemic. But because uh, I had built up this relationship prior to the lockdown, I was able to just have these consistent zoom meetings with all these kids and, 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 and volunteer staff because uh, I realized that that relationship, that discipleship, that, that kind of personal touch was, was what was way more important than any event that I could put in my yearly calendar, right? right. And, and so like I think that, yeah, it just kind of it, it showed 
me that the model that we've built and, and we just say, this is how we're going to do it. And because it's always worked like that, I think it's time for a change. And I think that if we don't wake up soon, I think we're going to lose an entire generation. Right? Um, just, just saying like, this has always worked and it's going to continue working. All right. Um, just put a retreat there. Just put an event there, you know, and not, not cause I don't like retreats. I love retreats. Um, but I think that we have to re-envision what youth ministry and, and even what ministry means for our current generation. Yeah. Well, I, I completely agree. I want to go more into that. Um, but one of the things, you know, one of the things interesting to, interesting to me is like, if you go to like your average university of California, right? Mm-hmm. Your average, um, you know, college campus, at least in California, like half the Christians on campus are Korean, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a very high percentage. And I remember that really stood out to me when I was doing a lot of campus ministry because, you know, I, I remember, I remember um, I came in as a freshman. This is going to sound a little bit arrogant, okay? I came in as a freshman, um, you know, at Berkeley, and I remember I went to InterVarsity and stuff like that, and I was like, dude, why are these guys so bad at music? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and I know that that does sound arrogant, and it was somewhat arrogant, but what I'm getting at is that I didn't realize that the musical culture that I had had in youth group was so much better than what 90, 95% of youth group experiences are like out there, mm-hmm. right? Like, I didn't realize that the level of discipleship and, you know, all of that that I had had was actually far better than what most people had had in their experience, yeah. right? And um, so, you know, we're about to go into a lot of the weaknesses of, you know, the discipleship model that we do in youth for Korean churches, stuff like that. But yeah. I just want to say up front, I think it might be among the best, <laughs> right, of, of all the churches out there, which is, which is really sad. Like, I mean... Andrew, when we were at Thanksgiving Church together, I will say this: um, I felt like I didn't see any, you know, I I didn't see any youth college groups that were doing it better than we were. And I want to say that with humility, because obviously I'm not seeing everything that's out there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I will say that I felt like relatively speaking, we were doing it really well compared to a lot of stuff that's out there. And I, and I'll say on top of that, that doesn't mean we're doing it well. <laughs> we're just doing it. I think a lot better than, than some stuff out there. And, you know, I want to, you know, cause this sounds arrogant as I'm listening to myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's not my heart. My heart is not to put down the rest of the body of Christ. Yeah, right. Like, sure. It's just, I think that there is a heritage in the Korean church that is actually extremely strong when it comes to the youth programs compared to what I have seen outside of the Korean church. Sure. And, right. I, and, and I'll also add to that that um, the, the Korean ministries in Orange County specifically, <laughs> I think, are you know, some of the strongest in the nation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm not you know hear hear my heart here I'm not trying to say that we were better than everybody else I'm saying that we were we were drawing from a lineage or a heritage yeah. that was incredibly strong 
And we're really blessed to be a part of that. And even still, I saw so many areas of weakness and room for improvement. And the reality is most people's ministry experience is not that, you know, you don't have access to all of that heritage. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, I think Stephen Church, had incredible heritage, right? You were part of that, yeah, no, right? Yeah. Um, being part of the youth and, you know, all, everything there. And I remember when I was in youth group, um, you know, we did stuff with Thanksgiving Church when Sam Song was there and all of like, like it, it, there was an incredible heritage of faith that was passed down that, that we got to benefit from, right? So I'm just laying that out front just to say like, hey, there is something that I think is really special and amazing about the Korean churches. Um, and I think some of those larger Korean churches in the OC have retained a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that many other churches don't, but even still, I, I feel like it's dying. Yeah. So I want to say all, all of that, you know, at the same time. And then I want to ask you, you know, you're saying there's a model here that is not working well. I want to ask you what, what, what's that model? First of all, I heard you refer to things like events and retreats and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, simply put, I feel like we've been doing the same thing for so long that it's it's kind of this attitude like this is what we know and this is what has worked, right? I think I've actually heard those words spoken to me um, when, when I, you know, asked like, hey, can I, you know, change, change a little something in our calendar? And then I remember someone specifically saying like, hey, this has worked for decades, right? <laughs> and I was and, like, okay. And, yeah. and by that model, you mean like, Sunday services plus like a Friday night exactly. meeting plus, you know, right. maybe two retreats a year, something like that. that right, that's right. the model. Yeah. And so like, even when I, you know, would come into certain ministries, they said that Friday, I, I would ask them what their Friday night program was. And, and they said that, well, we just have, you know, Friday night service. Um, and then I was like, Oh, like, is it just, you know, another Sunday service, but at night, you know, and they're like, yeah, pretty much. And which I don't mind, you know, I love to preach and, you know, and I love worship and, and, but then I started to question, you know, is this, you know, is this because we've always done it or is it because it's, it's been effective. Mm-hmm. And, and when I found that it wasn't necessarily the most effective thing for each ministry, sometimes it, it was, and it's not like I was against having service on Friday nights but I was like, I'm not really sure where there's room for, you know, building community or, or building deep relationships with people or, or where, or like what, what distinguishes a Friday and a Sunday? Like the, what, what's the difference in vision, mm-hmm. right? Or, or mm-hmm. even what's the role of the volunteers, right? Are they just coming right. to be an audience for me? And, and so for me that, that was uh really strange and, and it, but it basically, show me that everything that we do um the mod like the biggest uh characteristic of this model is that everything revolves around the pastor right mm-hmm. and then when you take the pastor out like the ministry can't run right right unless we get a guest speaker because what are we doing if there's no sermon right right but this actually didn't give room for true discipleship right because you know i think it was uh john wimber who said that I'm not interested in building 
an audience, I'm, I want to build an army, right? right. And, and, and his whole model was that everyone gets to do the stuff. That's the, that's the thing that John Wimber would always say. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, everyone has the ability to do what I do, right? And probably better in a lot of areas, right? And, and I think that um, in the best case scenario, we, we get to a place where, you know, I'm totally expendable, you know, as the pastor because everyone is equipped to, to preach and to teach and to lead, to delegate, to administer, you know, and, 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 and people are in their right lane serving the kingdom of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, when, when I say the model that's not working, I think that so many young pastors are getting burnt out because they think they have to do everything, right? Yeah. But they're not good at everything. Like, they're yeah. truly not, right? Um, unless there's some, like, super spiritual stud, right, that, yeah. that just can do it all. But it's rare, you know? And, and I don't think that's how the body of Christ was meant to be. And, and so when I say the model hasn't been working, I think that we were given this context where the pastor saves everyone, does all the preaching, does all the teaching, and no one has to be discipled, right? Yeah. But I think the territory that we have to move into is we have to teach people how to do the stuff, right? Right. That that you too can preach the gospel, right? That you might not be able to bring all your friends to church, but we can be the church that goes to our friends, right? And right. and that you can teach just as well as me, but in in a different way, in a different context. Um, you know, and and I think that we need to train people to be the best that they can be in the kingdom of God, right? Yep. And, and it's only if we do that, then the church can start to thrive in the way it was supposed to. Yep. Because I, what, what I saw kept happening was that if people didn't play instruments, then they didn't know where they belonged at church. They're like, I have a heart to serve, but I don't play an instrument. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's so sad because now we just have this model where if you don't preach and if you don't lead worship, then there's nothing for you to do at church except right. be part of the audience. Right. And I'm like, that's not, that's not the model I see in the Bible at all. Right. Where it's like, everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has something to do. Right. The thing is that they were never given space to thrive in that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think the model that we need to um, adapt and develop is a model where, wherever God has created you to be like we need to give you space to thrive in that in the body of christ you know and if we can do that effectively for each individual then i think that i think that church would change completely you know yeah i i I completely agree with you can i ask is there a ministry that you see out there that is doing that fairly well um Do you mean like a Korean church or, or just... Anything? No, it doesn't need to be a Korean church. I'm just... As, so people can help visualize what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I think that um, where I'm at right now, at Beloved, you know, uh, I, I think that it was what was really cool for me. Well, it, it's, it's only been like a year since this church started, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that it's so organic in terms of building community, in, in terms of... Uh, raising up leaders and in terms of raising up disciples. But what I found was that 
this is actually a lot easier for smaller church plants, right? I actually know a few church plants out, like, out in New York that I got to visit. And uh, what was really cool was that the fellowship and the community was built so organically. And, um, and so like what this showed me was that when a church gets so big, Okay, so this makes it sound like I don't believe in mega churches, right? I'm sure there's a lot of giftings and a lot of good things they bring to the table. The obvious ones being like resources and numbers and, um, you know, you have a lot of volunteers and stuff like that. But what I found is that when there's like a smaller, you know, startup or a church plant, you know, based on just a very simple vision, you know, to love people and to love God, what happens is that, it's like the only people you're really attracting are people who are hungry for that vision, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like, if you get big, you kind of have to preserve a brand. Uh, okay, okay, I hate to say it like that because it sounds so bad, but but yeah, it's like we like there's this brand because there's like thousands of people coming, and we need to be our core DNA. But when you're kind of like the smaller startup, you're kind of just built on a few disciples. Mm-hmm. right as in you need everyone to have a role <laughs> or mm-hmm. else you can't function right or else mm-hmm. you might not have a sunday service but what i found so effective about these kind of smaller ministries was that everyone had a role to play right mm-hmm. everyone came on sunday and everyone's just moving right everyone's setting up a chair or everyone's welcoming somebody or or everyone just kind of knows everyone's names and and i think that um, I start to believe more in in these kind of smaller church models than mm-hmm. amassing like all these numbers, right? Yeah. Because I think that, oh, so this is kind of the territory I really wanted to head to is that I think that when you become really big, you know, just size-wise, then, and, and, and I think there are healthier models. I think that there are healthier churches out there, you know, but because preserving the brand becomes so important, I think that your vision starts to shift, mm-hmm. right? Because there's so many people with so many different perspectives and opinions. And I, and I think that's, that's a good thing. Like, I think there should be diversity, you know, in the body of Christ. But because, like, it's just so hard to please everybody, mm-hmm. I think that the shape of your church begins to change. Whereas, like, when it's really small, um, you could just focus on a few things like discipling 10 people, discipling 20 people. And, and, and so like I started to really believe in the model of church where we, where we, we, we amass people and then we scatter, right? Sure. Uh, instead of just for the next several decades, we just keep building, building, building until we're the, the biggest church around, you know? Right, right. And, and so I think like so much of the mentality taught to me at bigger churches was how do we get people to fill up seats? Right. Um, and then that really got me disillusioned because I was seeing kids be literally transformed in front of me, but I wasn't being asked, you know, how many kids have changed or, you know, <laughs> what are some testimonies from this year? But I was being asked to produce numbers and produce uh, bigger events that would draw numbers and and this really started to disillusion me to to the brand that we were creating. And now so, I'm guessing 
yeah. that I'm guessing that pressure came when you went to those bigger ministries, right? Were you getting that same pressure at, at that small, you know, church in Temecula also? No, I wasn't. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. mostly like those bigger Korean ministries, they tend to like really push numbers. Right. And, and, and so like, I, I think the only examples I can think off the top of my head, only, only because I haven't like been able to visit these like big American churches. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, like, Oh, are they doing it? Well, uh, I'm not really sure. I just read about them in books and, yeah. YouTube channels. Yeah, uh, well, I, feel, I feel like at least in terms of the ones I visited, the the ones that where I, I really felt the presence of God, the, where I really felt the hunger and longing, were kind of not not necessarily just small churches, but it was these places where they got they got to have freedom of vision, right, and and mm-hmm. and, and the expression of that, rather than let's say a, a brand that's been there for like 50 years that's being passed down, right? And I found that what's really hard is that when you have something that you've been doing for so long and you try to pass that on to the next generation, it's kind of that tension of you're, you're trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to put new wine in an old wineskin, right? Yeah. And, where, where it's just it's that's not the generation that's here now right this yep. this is not a generation that's from korea and has moved here right this is not a generation that was birthed in revival you know um as opposed to a generation that really experienced god in korea and tried to bring it back to america and now we're having kids you know raised at these churches who inherit the buildings of their parents but they're not inheriting the faith of their parents you yeah. know and and but but we keep trying to say this has always worked and so it's going to work again, and yeah. that's kind of the tension that that yeah. I've been frustrated by. Well, I mean, there's so much that you just said there that I, I think is <laughs> worth talking about. You know, like I, I hear a number of different things. Right, number one, I hear the concerns about legalism and tradition. Right, mm-hmm. I actually just recorded um, you know a podcast lecture on on this problem. Right, like that. Jesus was really persecuted by the Pharisees because he broke their traditions, yeah. right? And you're going to see this so much in the church, where the, uh, this is very common. We we judge what is of God and what's not of God based on the outward appearance of things, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and that's actually warned about in the scripture many times about this is an unrighteous way to to judge because the Lord perceives the heart. And right. that's why the Lord always does new things, right? Doing a new thing, it tests our ability to discern whether something is truly of the Spirit or whether something follows the form and the function of something that God has done in the past. Right. Yeah. Right? And so absolutely, th- this is such a common problem in the church where we really become beholden to traditions, not realizing that the Lord is asking us to make new traditions, right? To start yeah. new things and do things in new ways. And, um, and but you see this all over the place, right? Like it, there's a, some there's a thing where you study the heroes of the past, right? I don't know if you've like studied like Smith Wigglesworth, for example, yeah. right? Like this is a guy who like like would hit people and like kick babies and and they would get healed, you know, like they would get healed that way. And you know, I've heard about people who have who have tried to do the same type of thing, you <laughs> yeah. know, and this is kind of a, you know, this is a, a <laughs> kind of an exaggerated example, right? Most people are not going to do that, but I think it goes to show the thing is it's, it's not the form that matters. It's the fact that God told him to do that. Right. Right. Like if God tells you to hit somebody, 
you know, and he's going to heal through that. Like, we don't go around spitting, you know, in the ground and making mud and putting it on people's eyes to heal them, yeah. right? Because it's not the form that carries the power, right? Yeah. It's it, God will speak to us to do something, and it's it's do we obey the voice, and have we discerned the voice correctly? And I think that can be really hard because what happens in a lot of churches is they really start to calcify in legalism, and specifically when the elder board, when the people that have authority in the church judge more by outward appearance than having a real relationship with the Spirit of God, where they can actually discern what the Lord is saying today, then what happens is the culture of a ministry really starts to become more legalistic, yeah. right? And um, and the ministry will start to die mm-hmm. in a major way. And that's why I think, you know, protecting the elder boards is actually super, super important, right? Like, and it, this is why one of the things that I've criticized a lot is when we start to promote elders in our ministries based off things like money, right? Um, you are killing your church. You yeah. are killing your church because those elders are going to be making authoritative decisions about whether how your church follows the spirit of the Lord. Absolutely. Right? And so absolutely, I completely agree with the concern that you have. And I've seen it a lot in the Korean church, a lot, right? Um, where the, there's so much religion, there's so much legalism that um, the leaders of the church don't know how to discern what the Spirit is actually calling us to do because they're really so beholden to the traditions of the ministry or the denomination or anything like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and we see this all the time where it's this vicious cycle, right? Where you you know, you know, you fall back on tradition because you're not really sure what God is doing. Um, and then and, and what happens is that that, actually trains people inadvertently to not trust in God as much, right? Like we don't pray as much and we don't, we don't spend time in his presence as much, right? Because, because we have strategies now, we have things that have worked, right? We have these programs that have been working for decades. And so why, why wait on the Lord for something new, right? (laughs) Right. But again, I'm not saying that they're maliciously thinking this way. I don't think that, You know, I mean, I don't know, right? I don't know every church in, in America, but I don't think that it's like this malicious, like, oh, I don't want to For listen sure. to God and For sure. I, don't, I don't want any revelation. But I think it's more, um, you know, fear-based or when we get anxious that, hey, we're losing members or, um, um, think, you know, th- this next generation, they're not really responding, you know, um, anymore. And, and so what do we do? We we, we look back and, and we say, what has worked? You know, what has worked in these moments? How can we strategize and, and, and fill our seats? And we have all these logistical meetings. But you see the Church of Acts and whenever something would come up, whenever anything would come up, they're like, God, we don't know what we're doing. And then they had a prayer meeting. And then the Holy Spirit would show up and something amazing would happen, right? And and so I think that it's it's so tempting to to fall back on that old wine where where we know that this has a proven success you know has it's worked in the past right and there's that language of it's worked until now but but sometimes actually most times we just have to listen to god and sense and discern where he's headed because i think that if we don't follow him then 
what we're going to do is we're going to lose an entire generation because we're trying to tell, we're trying to give them stale bread, right? We're trying to give them wine that's old and, and, and these wineskins are bursting, right? And, and I think that what's really sad is that so many have already left and so many have already become disillusioned because what they really want is the presence of the living God, right? And, and they move on to places where they discern that happening. They want real discipleship and mentorship, right? But what they get are these models and strategies um, that just frankly aren't working like they used to, you know? Right. And, and, and that's, that's kind of been what, I, what I've seen in so many ministries recently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if I had to put my finger on, you know, what's going on in the Korean church, when you, you know, I, I think morning prayer is the secret engine to the effectiveness of the Korean church. Mm-hmm. I think it has been. And, and to be clear, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, morning prayer is the secret to doing ministry well, something like that. Yeah. I am saying that that tradition that developed was, I believe, spirit-birthed, and it was really important. Um, but when you look at most Korean churches, it's all old people, right? Morning prayer is like, it's Absolutely. it's the it's the grandparents in there, you know? And um, it, it did not get passed down effectively to the next generation. And then now when you're talking about our generation, it's almost non-existent. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? It like almost doesn't exist at all. And so to me, the when I look at the prayer culture, I see it in the House of Prayer movement, right? The House of Prayer movement is taking the essence of that Korean morning prayer culture and kind of expanding it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Night and day worship, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're incorporating, you know, worship along with prayer and with prophetic worship, all this kind of stuff. So I see you know, the House of Prayer movement as being the spiritual successor to the Korean morning prayer movement, something like that. Yeah, And it's one of the reasons why I, I push it so hard, because um, you you have to follow the Spirit of God. There's no, it's not like a, there's no form that makes it work. Yeah. There's no, you know, <laughs> there's no magic system that makes it work. It's you have to follow the Spirit of God. Like, it, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like it's just so simple as oh you just pray and everything works, but I but I am saying that is the essence of this, right? The- right. Yeah. I I, I think uh, one of one of my favorite stories in terms of uh, living in faith is uh, in Matthew fourteen when when Peter walks on water with Jesus, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 when I really studied that word, um, something really stood out to me, and when 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 Peter is 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 desiring to go out onto the water. Um, he doesn't just say, Jesus, I'm going to join you on the water. He said, "He says, Lord, if that's you, command me to come to you, right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was so fascinating because I think that Peter had walked with Jesus for so many years that he understood that anything Jesus commanded, no matter how impossible, became reality, right? right. And, and, and so I think for him, he's just like, Jesus, if you say it, then I'm going to do it. If you say it, then I'm going to step out onto the water and it's going to become solid, right? And, and and I think that the two ways that we get this wrong, you know, in, in, in church today is that number one, we don't listen, right? <laughs> we don't spend time in God's presence long enough. We don't dwell in his presence long enough that he actually gives us things that he only tells his most intimate friends, right? 
But when we linger in God's presence, he just starts to he just starts to talk to us like a friend would, like a father would and 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 starts to give us revelation about what we're called to do and where we're called to go. And number 2, how 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 we as Christians fail is when we hear something, we don't do it, right? Whether because of fear or or laziness or or tradition, right? <laughs> you know, and, and we quench the spirit of God because he he's saying I'm doing a new thing, and we're like, but God, that's that's scary, you know, that's uncomfortable. We've never tried that, we've never done that, and then we quench what the Spirit is doing. Um, but but what happens when Jesus commands us, like when he commanded Peter to walk out onto the water, and we actually take that step, is something miraculous happens, you know, something that's never been done, right? They they they'd never seen another man walk on water, but mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, you know, Peter was was taking a few steps onto it, you know, and, and but that can only happen if we if we listen for his command, we we dwell in his presence, and we say, God, what are you saying? Where, where are you leading us? Where 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 do you want us to spend our finances? How are you leading this team? Who do you want me to reach out to and disciple? And then we do it. Man, that that will shift the culture of every single church mm-hmm. across America, right? Mm-hmm. But what, what's what's difficult is when we feel like we don't actually have room and space to make those decisions, right? And and, and I just want to say, like, I never want it to sound like I don't love the Korean church because I absolutely do, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that people have misunderstood my words um, when, when I, like, give you know, critique, they think that, oh, it's because I hate the Korean church. I'm like, I love the Korean church, right? I got saved at a Korean church. I was discipled in the Korean church. I learned to love God and worship in a Korean church. But it doesn't mean that there aren't critiques, right? And so what I think um, was so hard for me sometimes when as a youth pastor was when um, there was kind of commands passed down from my leadership um, that that were given by people who had no idea what the youth were experiencing or going through. Right. As in, they were saying like, you need to do this with the youth group and do that. And it didn't, it's not like I argue at every point, but sometimes I would just be like, I don't, I don't think that would be a good idea for this youth group. I think that would be really harmful and hurtful. I think that it would actually distract them from how they're growing in the Lord. Um, when we're, you know, when we're, they, they were just, I, I can't think of one single example, but there would be so many times throughout the year where they kind of just made us, you know, be involved in things that had nothing to do with the youth group. And, um, and while I understood like the overall vision, I was like, this is not a good idea right now, <laughs> you know? And, and it would kind of hinder where I felt like God wanted to lead these students. Right. And again, I'm not saying that was every day, every week, Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that there were some key moments where I didn't really understand why, you know, this would be helpful for the, the youth, right? Yeah. And and, and so um, I, I think like that was a frustration that I had experienced where I felt like God was clearly leading a certain way, but I didn't have either the voice or the agency to make that happen, right? Yeah. And of course, like with those seasons, like come like lessons and submission and all that, which I am appreciative of. It's just when it's so clear that something needs to be done and we're not allowed to do it. I think that that was really hard for me. 
For sure. Well, I, I think what you're talking about points to another issue that I think is a major one, and that's the lack of fathering in the Korean church. And what I'm getting at is that what you're describing is something that I hear from almost every single pastor that's ever served in a Korean church, where there's this sense where there's orders that are coming down, but it doesn't feel like it's 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 mentorship. Does that make sense? Like there's a difference there, right? Like um, I remember, you know, I went to this pastor's conference, uh, this Korean pastor's conference in, in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And my God, it was like, it was like an inner healing conference because every single you know, younger Korean pastors talking about how they feel used, how they like, don't feel like it, like the, the, the older generation cares about them at all. And, and the truth is that it's a lot like that. Like there's a lot of truth that meaning um, really, you know, there's this dynamic when you're like a student or a member of a church, like the leaders of the church, the elders, they're all trying to like make you happy. But when you're staff, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a different thing. Like now you're an employee, you're like a slave for the church, right? And then like you're being you're you're being used, and and they really only value you for how you can build up their organization. Yeah. And when they feel like you're not building their organization, they're they're just like get rid of you and pull and bring in somebody else. And you know, I'm not I'm not trying to say this in an accusatory manner per se, because it's this is not just green churches. This is a lot of organizations, yeah. right? This is a lot of businesses and churches. But when we're talking about how the church is supposed to function, right? I think there is, a, the, the way it's supposed to be is there really should be an active mentorship where, yeah. right, the, the older generation believes in the younger generation of pastors and is really trying to build them up and have a vision for them to flourish, right, and to do well. And and from that context, when you're given orders, there's an understanding of, there's a relational connection here where I know you understand my heart and what I think is important. And then if you're giving me an order, you know, because it's, it's important, then I understand your heart and I know because you understand me, exactly. right? There, yeah. There's a, there's relationship. And right. that, I think there's a, there's a real problem here where, there's this lack of mentorship and fathering so that the younger generation feels like they're just getting orders all the time. And and I say this because, look, I've talked with a lot of EM pastors. The, the rule of thumb is every EM, you know, English ministry that does well breaks off and forms its own church. Yeah. Right? Like, I have yet to really see a long-term exception to that. Right? I've seen short-term exceptions. I've, I haven't really seen effective long-term exceptions, generally speaking, because EM pastors, they feel like they're just getting orders all the time, and like, hey, we're trying to build something, and the orders keep you know, contradicting that, they, they, because the, the KM has a vision for what they're trying to build, and it doesn't seem like there's a real concern for the vision of the EM, and, and there's a break in the relationship and in mentoring. Yeah. Right? And... um. And that seems so common and so problematic. And and this speaks, I think, to one of my main concerns and reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. Because, you know, I've worked with a lot of great younger generation leaders, right? Great leaders. What I don't see is I don't see them being effectively funneled into effective ministry. It almost always seems like they have to do their own thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. And um, it, and man, this is such a problem. This is such a problem, Andrew. And this is this is one of the main reasons why I'm I'm really concerned for the for the Korean Church and the next generation. And I I should point out that even though we are talking kind of narrowly about the Korean Church, these things absolutely exist outside in yeah. in other parts of the church. Yeah, yeah, right, absolutely. Um, 
but yeah, the the mentorship there's there's not effective mentorship. There's not a sense of fathering and um you know of of sons taking over the mantle and 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 planting new ones, right? Like I I told the leaders at TKC like, man, how many great leaders have come out of TKC? Yeah, I, I can't even count. <laughs> so many phenomenal leaders, right? I think if there was a a real effective vision for fathering and mentoring all these leaders, honestly, we could have a hundred Thanksgiving churches in different parts of the world. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. Like I honestly, because it, I, like I say this as somebody, I remember when TKC was really pushing um, assemblies of God, they wanted us to be part of assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. And I went and I sat down with the leaders of the assemblies of God. And, um, and I said, Hey, sell me on it. Tell me what, what's the assemblies of God about? Like, why should I, as a young pastor want to be an assemblies of God pastor? Right, and and I'll be honest, man. The vision was poor. <laughs> I was like, I like I. They, I remember the 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 leader was like, well, you know, why don't you tell us what you want, you know? And and I so I, I shared a little bit, but I didn't get a sense of like, hey, this is our vision. This is why we want you to be part of it. This is like, you know what I mean? And I'm like, where is that? Like, where? You know, and it, it touches on something that you mentioned earlier, which is this idea of, hey, we did, we can't have a spectator, you know, culture, right? We can't be building ministries where there's one person ministering and everybody else is watching him, right? Because then there's no place for leaders. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what we're getting into here. Like, there needs to be a vision for the younger generation or not just for the younger generation, but for all the people in the church to become effective ministers. And there has to have a vision that incorporates that. Like, yeah, why do we need all these effective ministers? Absolutely, yeah. Right? And that, for the most part, does not exist in many churches, right? Many churches, the vision is to have large churches, which means you only really need a handful of effective speakers and musicians. Right. And and everybody else, we just need them to watch and, and pay their tithes. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's so it it's it it kills the growth of the church. It kills the growth of the church. And um I I, I wanted to comment on, you know, who's doing this well. You had mentioned like some smaller churches, and I agree with you. I do see, yeah. you know, some startup ministries that are trying to carry this vision. But one of the ministries that I wanted to talk about was Bethel, because I feel like they're doing it better than, I don't know, 95% of churches that I see out there mm-hmm. in that they really have a vision to effectively equip the saints. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, you know, like if you go to a restaurant, you know, or a coffee shop in, in Redding, California, they all know the Bethel people because they're constantly being prophesied over by them. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right? And th- there's something like Bethel's a ministry that when I look at them, and they're huge, right? They're obviously a very big church. But they're one of the ministries I feel like is doing it really well, where it's obvious that they're really trying to equip people, their people in their congregation to be effective ministers and to have their own mission field, right, of where they're called to to grow their ministry, something like that. Yeah, so again, I think like this is the difference between a church brand and a church culture, right? (laughs) Because... A brand is about keeping appearances and like this is how people view us and 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 there's like a, it's not so bad but there's is that at least a, some sense of like this is who we need to pretend to be right 
because of how people view us already. But a culture is who you are, right? And and you don't need to force someone to pretend to be that because that's who they are, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so ministries like Bethel, um, like their roots run so deep inside their people that they just go to a grocery store and that's who they are, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And they they evangelize because it's important to them. It's not just important to their leaders, right? <laughs> They're not just being told by a leader, you should evangelize because that's what a Christian does. But they have bought into the vision and they become the vision. And and that's what is so is so like tragically missing in so many churches. I remember um something that was really hurtful to me um at, at one of the churches I was serving at was um this uh this uh one you know one of the the pastors above me you know in the km kind of asked me out of the blue to do you know a favor for the km right and and i was like not against it it's just it was just so like last second he was like i need you you to do this tomorrow after your service saturday night for sunday morning and uh and i and i just texted him you know and <laughs> i i didn't mean it you know in a accusatory or even argumentative um tone but i just texted him like oh like why do you need this you know because it was almost like me asking like you know what is the vision behind this yeah and i remember he texted back why do you need to know why and i was like (laughs) (laughs) but i i i i I was so like taken aback i just messaged him like oh i didn't mean any offense i really didn't i'm just i'm just wondering you know like yeah where are you going you know what like what's the vision behind this yeah. and because i have i have a i have my ministry right like i it's not right. like i'm doing nothing on sundays I, i'm with the kids and and i was just like wondering like why you needed this and but he i later found out he was really offended you know <laughs> because i asked why and yeah. and i was like dude i want to support you you know i i, I actually want to buy into this and and the strongest leaders that I've ever been under, you know, including yourself, um, you would sit down with me and, and say like, hey, I really need you to help me, you know, lead small groups, you know, in, in college ministry, you know, and, and then you will call out the gifting in me. And, and you would say like, you you have a gift for teaching. And, and I really want you to be able to use that to bless these people. And because you would sit down with me and tell me why I'm doing this, I'd be like, dude, I'm down. Like let's do it, you know, mm-hmm. and and literally if anyone did that to me, you know, did that for me at a Korean church, I think I would have bought into the vision. But I remember specifically asking my senior pastor, "What is the vision of our church?" And he couldn't tell me, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's not like I got mad at him or anything. It was just, well, that's why I'm building something in youth group, you know, <laughs> because. I need a vision to do ministry. I need a vision to serve kids. I need a vision to serve my leaders and to direct them in a certain way and, and, and to call out the giftings in them and to disciple them for how they can make an impact in the kingdom of God. And without a vision, frankly, I can't do this. You know, I can't do ministry. And, and, and so it was really hard for me in disillusioning when I found out that these giant buildings, these giant institutions and brands didn't really have a culture and a, and a DNA that I could even, I could even adapt it to myself, let alone give it to others. Right. And so obviously I would 
come up with my own DNA and my own culture, and not as an act of rebellion, but just because I need this. I need this to survive and do ministry. You know, um, I need a vision so that I can lead others to it. You know, and and when that's not clear, and especially like with a church so big, and and where there's a brand that that we're showing to others, but we're not really doing anything. <laughs> you know, then it was really hard for me to teach that to the next generation. You know, and so like, yeah. It, and so that that was like the tension that I was always in where I'll go to these meetings, sometimes three to four hour meetings, where at the end of it, I was like, I'm not really sure what you want me to do. <laughs> you know? I'm not really sure how this applies to the youth kids, right? Because that's what you hired me to do. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't like a complaint, like I, I hated this meeting because I hated the information given. It was more just, I'm not really sure what you want me to do though. And 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 that's what a lack of vision really does. Yeah. It's just we, we leave the meeting and we're not sure how this applies to my Sunday, my Friday. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and so that was kind of like this cycle that that I I had been in, in at the Korean church. Right, right. Now, how how did your stay at at those other larger Korean churches on the East Coast? How did it come to an end? Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, um, so when I was in Illinois and I graduated seminary, I actually left my ministry to be near my family in New York mm-hmm. uh, because I've been apart from them for them a long time. And, and uh, well, at the time, my dad had certain health issues that, you know, he, he's all better now. But I just wanted to be close to my family for the first time in a long time. And so I decided I'm going to move there. And uh, I'll do youth ministry out there. Um, I remember, you know, I've there there was like disagreements that I had had with leadership, but you know, I don't think anything was super terrible. But I remember, um, I I don't know like how specific I should be, but <laughs> I remember. Uh, I think the beginning of the end was after after the worst of the pandemic had ended and we were slowly reopening. I had been at a, a certain church for a little over two years and, and I, um, and the whole time I was getting part-time pay. Right. And I had a seminary degree and, and, uh, and I, had, and I'd been at that church for over two years. And so I remember, um, making, making an appointment to see my senior pastor and, um, well, I just want to start off by saying that in the la- in the three years that I had served there, he only asked to meet with me twice, you know, and, and so I I, I kind of went out of my way to say, hey, can I sit down with you? And and I told him my heart is I want to stay at this church, you know, I love these kids to death. Um, I I I want to stay. I just can't live with what I'm making. Right? <laughs> it wasn't yeah. enough to pay rent, you know, let alone like save for the future and pay off my loans and all that stuff and. I just had an honest heart to heart and I was like, I want to stay here and I'm committed here. And um, I remember, I think it was February of 2021 where I approached him and I, and I remember, um, yeah, he, you know, he spoke English well enough to understand what I was saying, but he was, you know, trying to communicate what was on his heart and 
he was saying, oh, like, you know, thank you for all the, you know, hard work that, that you were putting in. And, and he said, you know, but we're, we're in this pandemic season and we're just coming out. And, and, uh, and I remember, you know, the, and this is, this is where it was really hard for me, you know, and, and it really disillusioned me. But I remember the first thing that came out of his mouth was, you know, but as I consider your attendance, um, I don't think that you have the right numbers to warrant a full-time position, right? And um, and I remember I was just so taken aback. And I said, you know, um, but I've been coming to church like five days of the week, even when we've been shut down, because I just do work from here. I have Zoom meetings from here. Um, I'm not really sure like what that means, because I think that actually I'm at church more than some full-time pastors, you know? Um, and, and, and he was just saying, well, like other ministries actually have more than you. And that's, that's why they have a full-time, you know, position. And then I asked him, you know, so like what number should I meet? You know, um, I, I was like, yeah, since the pandemic, my attendance went down a little bit. And, and, uh, he, he said that, well, well, it's not like a specific number and, and honestly, like, I felt like he just kept being around the bush. And, and eventually, like, I just ended the conversation there, um, knowing that I don't think it was ever his intention to give me a full-time position. <laughs> um, but as, like, the months went by, like, I think that that conversation, looking back now, I think that it, it kind of was weird to him that I even asked, right? Um, even though I felt like it was fairly normal. Mm-hmm. But over the next few months, um, yeah, there was just, you know, different conversations I had had with, you know, some of the KM staff members. And by that June, they decided to let me go. And when I asked why, because it was kind of coming out of the blue, they said something along the lines of the common consensus consensus around um, – among the elders was that I was leading the youth group in a direction away from the KM's vision. And that's literally what they told me was the reason they were letting me go. And, and when I asked for an explanation, because I wasn't really sure what that meant. Um, yeah. They said that I was only interested in helping my youth group and not serving the church as a whole. And again, I didn't really understand what that meant. You know, um, I really didn't understand where they were coming from. And so I asked for an explanation um, so that I could explain it to the, the students, to the parents, all of whom were wondering what happened. You know, like, was I involved in a scandal, <laughs> you know, because it was happening so fast. But simply because, like, I wasn't producing the right numbers, I wasn't. And. And even though my face is Korean, I'm not very culturally Korean. And so it was really hard for me to like understand Mm -hmm. the sermons and understand the meetings. And I think that what they wanted was someone who was more in line with with their cultural values. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, this was really hurtful to me and, and to my leaders and to my students because Ultimately, I just had to explain to them what they said, right? Mm -hmm. Which was that, yeah, you know, 
which didn't make sense to them because they actually knew what I was doing and they actually mm-hmm. saw the change that I was bringing. Um, anyway, so that's kind of, there was a lot more like, yeah, there was a lot, right? Um, like, you know, to, <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to hear everything, um, they try to get me to sign an NDA to receive my last paycheck saying that I would never speak badly about my church to uh, not even to my family or friends. Mm-hmm. And it was like this eight page document. And they said that I couldn't get my last paycheck unless I signed it. And then I rejected the money and I walked away. Um, yeah, they called my you know previous Chicago church uh, to, to see if I had a history of mental illness, like all this like kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I could share all of it, um, but ultimately, I don't understand to this day. <laughs> um, other than that, I think that I was too different than what they wanted for that role. For sure. Yeah, man. Well, let me comment on it real quick, man. Bro, I think you are one of the best young Korean pastors that I know. Okay? That's my assessment. Right. And, um, you know, to me, it's more indicative of the sickness that's in large parts of the Korean church. And, and, you know, I, I don't... Like I understand that culturally, there are some there are some differences here. You know, um, they want they probably want somebody who understands the culture and a little bit better. And um, and they want numbers. You know, <laughs> and I'm I'm not gonna say that it's all evil or it's all bad, but it. It's just a sign that we're having a real problem discerning the things that are truly important, you know, right. in large parts of the Korean church. And and just being real, man, it's dying right now. It's dying. And, you know, it's one of the things that really grieves my heart because there is such a an important legacy and heritage that we have and um, that I've been, I've been burdened to continue to carry, you know, um, but, you know, stuff like that is so, like, it's so obvious. It's like a control thing, right? It's like, they're so worried about what you what you could say, you know, and it's like, and there's obviously a not clear communication, which is a very common problem, right? Um, and, you know, and there's this weird, like, uh, there's this weird loyalty thing, you know? Like, all right, let me just rant for a second here, Okay. We're the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ altogether. Whether you're at a church down the street or a church in Mexico, right? We're one family, right? We're we're this is what the this is something that's so important to the Lord, right? So, you know, this idea that I'm gonna be so concerned about my organization and what happens to my organization at at the expense of my relationship with you. Yeah. Right? That is what is so um, toxic. I'm just gonna be honest. It's so common in the church. Yeah, it is so common, Absolutely. and you know, if we're looking at macro reasons here, it's you know, look, there's fewer Christians than there were a generation ago. Yeah, right. We have a shrinking pool of Christians, and churches are worried that they're that they're dying or they're failing or they're losing to their competitors and all this kind of stuff. All of this is garbage. 
right? All of this is garbage. Like, numbers don't matter. <laughs> Look, they, they, if, I just want to say that if you are discerning the health of your ministry or church by numbers, I just want to say there's something so there's something that's so sick there, right? And I mean that in in a sense that it's a spiritual sickness, and and it is so common in the church, and this fixation on on numbers has really, um, it, what it is, it it's you know, it's this incredible insecurity in leaders, and it's this incredible legalism where we judge by outward appearances rather than by the things that matter to the Lord. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, I say all of that to say, like, bro, brush that off, okay? Brush that off, yeah. all right? Um, from my perspective, churches would be incredibly blessed to have you as a leader, you know, um, and someone that is, is mentoring and, and bringing up their students, um, because you're, you're, the, you're the real deal, man. You really care about the Lord. You really care about building um, strong disciples of the Lord, and that's what we need. That's what we need in the body of Christ. So... I will say this, that um, this does seem to be part of the training process for all leaders, that we have to go through these types of rejections and these types of, um, you know, these types of tests, Yeah. right? It's a big part of it. And so I, I, I say that to you, but I'm also speaking to all, you know, the people that will be listening to this interview, because there's lots of young leaders, and this is what really my heart is burdened for. Young leaders that have a real heart to serve the Lord, and they're running into all the obstacles that exist in the church. And um, and my main heart is don't get discouraged by these obstacles. These are the same obstacles that Jesus ran into, <laughs> right? Like the same kind of stuff, right? Um, these are the same obstacles that every, you know, all authentic leaders run into in a time when there's great sickness in in God's people, yeah. right? And that's, and that's what we're running into in this generation in a, in a large amount, okay? So... You know, I just want to affirm you, bro, and um, and yeah, like what my heart is, and to be honest, I'd, I want to talk more to you about this later on. But, dude, there's so many young leaders that really need effective fathering, man. Yeah. There's so many young leaders that need effective fathering, um, because these are these are hard things to run into. Because the body of Christ is supposed to it's supposed to be our family. Yeah. Right. So when we're running into these things, I it, it I know it's so discouraging for so many leaders, um, and um. Yeah, man, it's not right. Yeah, and and I think that you know, um, yeah, it's been over a year now, and, and I think that I've healed a lot from it. And and looking back, I am thankful for it. And 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 it's not like I I haven't made mistakes. You know, I think I don't think any mistake warranted what happened. But but I I think uh, I you know I've, I'm definitely not perfect. I've I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, you know, I always tell people, you know, half jokingly that, you know, nothing, nothing in my seminary experience prepared me for a pandemic or, or, for sure. oh, man. or how to survive. Um, and I think that, that towards the end of the pandemic, you know, I found myself, you know, in a really low space. And, and I think that that's why it made it more hurtful that my church, like responded to you know, where I was in life like that. Right. <laughs> For sure. Um, and, and so I think that coming out of that, what I found is that, and, and, and frankly, what many, you know, young pastors and ministers are, 
are, are realizing is that, you know, there isn't space in a lot of these churches for us to be mentored, for us to be weak, and for us to be human, right? <laughs> like we, yeah. that's why so many pastors don't feel like they have communities in their own churches, right? Because yeah. that's not the relationship model that we were taught, right? Yeah. We don't we don't have that with our own pastors, right? And when I think of who I call pastor or senior pastor, I I think of a boss, right? And not in a sense like I hate them or they hate me or you know, but it's just my. My only relationship with them is that they pay me <laughs> and, and they, they tell me, you know, what needs to be done every now and then, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think what created, you know, so much anxiety for me is that people under me would see me like that. And I'm just like, dude, I don't, I don't know, like, why, you know, you're afraid to talk to me. I don't know why you're afraid to approach me or to ask me advice. And they always, like, you know, would start with some kind of disclaimer, like, I'm so sorry to bother you. And I'm like, dude, why are you sorry to bother me, right? Um, like, as if as if that's not, like, what I love to do, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't be in ministry if I didn't love to counsel and if I didn't love to talk to people and, and to walk with them and, and even struggle and suffer with them, you know, alongside yeah. of them. And, and, and so, like, what I realized is that that is – that is what we're called to do as pastors, as leaders, as ministers, and even as Christians, you know, who who maybe have, you know, walked with God just a little bit longer than anyone else, right? Yeah. Is that we're meant to walk alongside people and be in their lives and share our lives with them, you know, and and that the pastoral title has become something that I don't think Jesus ever intended, where it's this title of someone at church who's, you know, holier than the rest of us. And, and we listen to them and, and our entire faith is kind of contingent on what they teach us. And, mm-hmm. but that creates like this level of anxiety in pastors because we're, we're human right? we're not Jesus Christ and we're not here to give you salvation, but we are here to walk with you and be just as imperfect as you, mm-hmm. but, but with maybe a little bit more experience in fighting those battles. Right. And with a little bit more uh, wisdom and knowledge about how to walk with God. And, and when we share our lives together, I, I think like that's, that's the kind of fathering that we need in this generation where, where it's just, we walk together and you can ask stupid questions because we all have them. Right. And you, you, you can, you can, you know, you know, get, get mad and, you know, and, and, and have, have room for forgiveness. Right. We need these kind of relationships to develop or else we can't have discipleship in the way that Jesus intended. And, and when we have these giant churches that are built like companies and corporations, we stop seeing people as individuals and, and even humans, right? We see them as a number in a statistic. You know, we see, we see them as in terms of what they can do to enhance our brand, you know, um, but we don't see that they're, they too are weak and human and they too need discipling and, and help and mentoring. And, and so when I would ask these questions in meetings, it was so often seen as rebellion or me questioning the, the system. And, and I was like, no, I want to learn. <laughs> like I'm, I ask questions because I don't know. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know your culture. I don't, I don't know a hundred percent like what you want, but if you were to explain to me, I would actually do it, you know, and I would be better for it. 
but that was like the constant frustration where I'm, I'm hungry for mentorship and, and, and so many are, but, but no one wanted to give me that. Right. And, and so, like, I, I really want to be the type of leader that does pass it on, you know. And, and, and so I'm mentored by books or, or by YouTube channels or, you know, and, and wherever I can get it, I, I want to learn and pass it on. Yeah. But, but that's, yeah, that's what I wanted to share about that. Yeah. No, it's really important. You know, like, the thing is, I tell people, Andrew, that, like, literally half of what I do in ministry is I tell people you're doing a good job. Like yeah. literally that's like half my job yeah. is like, I'm just like, dude, you're doing a great job, you know, like, because it, 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 people need that, that that's the difference between a father and a boss. Yes. <laughs> right. Like a boss is like, Hey, you're not performing as much as I want you to. And so you better, you better fix it or else I'm going to find somebody who can do it better. Right. Yes. A father is like, Hey, I know you're not at your full potential. Because none of us are, <laughs> but I believe in your potential. Yeah. Right. I believe in your potential. Like that's my job as a father, as spiritual father. Right. Is like I believe in your potential. I believe in you. Right. And I'm with you in this. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't mean that I'm 100 percent sure you're going to reach your potential. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> I'm not. Like because I'm not 100 percent sure I'm going to reach my I'm going to reach my potential. Right. Like. But I believe in you, and I'm devoted to you to help you reach as much of your potential as possible, right? Like, the way they should have had that conversation with you, like that conversation with your pastor, right? When you ask, like, hey, I'd, I'd like to come full-time, you know, it, it really should have looked something like this. Hey, Andrew, you're doing such an amazing job, right? I, I see the way you love your, your, our youth kids, and I'm so thankful that you love our youth kids the way that you do. Right. And I'm just going to be fully honest with you. We don't have the money to bring you on full time. <laughs> like, man, I wish we did. Right. I wish we had the money that we could bring you on full time because I believe in you. Right. Like, and then the, the answer is still the same. The answer is still no. <laughs> right. Like, but what's communicated is completely different. Right. What's communicated is I love you and I'm, I, I'm so thankful for you right. rather than you, you're not measuring up, you know, and, you know, we don't really need you very much. You know, like, and and, and that's the difference between a job and a family. Right. Yeah. Right? And yeah. and and that's, you know, I, I know you're describing this as like a big church problem, and it is. I've seen this at plenty of small churches, too, right? in small ministries, right? This thing is everywhere. And and the thing is, this, this is what the church needs, right? Like, look, when I look back on my youth experience— I can tell you something. I freaking loved my youth pastor. I loved my youth pastor. Yeah. And it's not because he was the best speaker in the world. Okay? Yeah. It's not because he was the best speaker in the world. It's because I felt like he really cared about me. Right. Right? When I look at the teachers that really impacted me, it's because I felt like they actually cared about me. Right. Yeah. Okay? This is like when, when church leaders are like, no, we need to grow and we need to grow. You don't understand the thing that will cause you to grow long term is actually caring about people. <laughs> yeah. And that starts with that starts with your own staff and leaders, yeah. right? If you care about them, then that will flow down into the culture of your ministry, and that's how you build something long-term, right? right? When when and what you describe as like 
like, dude, I'm trying to ask questions and they're calling me rebellious. <laughs> I'm like, that's like, that's the thing that kills ministries, right? It kills your ministry when you have this controlling culture where you've got to have people do what you want them to do and you're always being suspicious of them being rebellious. It kills your ministry. Like, no, look, a loving, healthy ministry is one where we see the best in people, we give people grace for their weaknesses. We expect weaknesses in people because everyone has weaknesses, right? But we're focusing on the potential and the good that we see in people because we love them and believe in them. Like, who wants to be a kid in a family where your dad is constantly focused on your weaknesses, yeah, right? It's true. Like, that's like the most miserable family to be in, right? Like, no, you want a dad that's like constantly like, son, I'm so proud of you, right? I see all the all your potential. I see all the good stuff in you. And I know you you missed that fly ball at the game the other day, right? <laughs> but don't worry, you'll get the next one. You'll get the hang of it, yeah. right? Like, you're doing good. You don't want a dad who's like, I can't believe you missed another fly ball. What a <laughs> failure of a son, you know? Like, but that's how like a yeah. lot of these churches are. And it's like, it's such a travesty. Right, because this, like, this is literally what Jesus says. They will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. Right, that's literally what Jesus says. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Right, and it it's so problematic. And and this is my heart. And and you know, this is my heart for you, Andrew. This is my heart for all the young leaders in the church that are facing all this kind of stuff. Okay, it's a sickness in the church. It, we are so immature as a body of Christ right now. We are so immature and so divided as a body of Christ. But I, I have hope, right, that as we continue to seek the Lord, the Lord, I believe, has an agenda in this season to build a healthy body. Hmm. I think he really wants that, right? He wants a healthy, united body where we're not bickering and dividing over, you know, ridiculous things and all this kind of stuff, but we're family, yeah. Right. So even though we have differences, every family has differences, right? We're committed to one another, right? And we believe in one another and we're cooperating with one another because we're one body. Yeah. That I believe is the Lord's heart for his church. And I just want to speak that to all the young leaders out there who I'm sure you're facing all this similar type of stuff that Andrew's describing. I've faced all the stuff that he's describing for sure, right? This is part, this is, you're going to face this stuff if you're going to become a leader in a church right now. Okay. Um, but I want to say is don't, don't become bitter about it, right? Forgive all those people that, that wrong you because it, you know, we're all imperfect. Okay. Um, but Andrew, I, I, I believe one of the agendas of the Lord's heart is to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers, yeah, right. I agree. Um, that will bring real health to the body of Christ. Yeah. And when I look at the leaders that I'm most thankful in my life, it's not, you know, the great speakers, the great theologians, the, you know, it, those aren't the people that I'm really thankful. I'm thankful for the real fathers and mothers that I've had in my life, yeah. you know, that have, have, have really committed to me and loved me for who I am. Like, I, I, I always thank those leaders. I, I financially show into those leaders. Like, I'm still, like, giving money to people that poured into my life, you know, decades ago. But I just feel such a debt of gratitude for those people. Yeah. Because yeah. I would not be the person that I am today, right. except that they really loved me well, you know, and like, and these I think are the the types of churches, and this is the same thing as what you're describing. You know, it's it's also the type of church where I don't I don't want a bunch of spectators, yeah. in my church, right? Like, why? Because I actually believe they have potential to be great ministers. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. I believe in their potential, and because I see that potential, like I, uh, I want them to become great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want my organization to become great. Uh, that's garbage. Like a great organization that's just like a couple people ministering and like thousands of spectators. That is a freaking garbage ministry to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, that's garbage. No, why? Because I see the potential in our people, and they need the, it's the Lord's potential, right? Like, our job is to feed the sheep so that they become amazing shepherds themselves, right? Better than me, yeah, better than us. <laughs> yeah. And 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 you have that vision, man. So I, I just want to encourage you. I I think I think you're doing a lot right, okay? And I think your vision is is healthy and it's good, okay? And I, I promise you, there's so many other leaders in the same circumstance, you know, as, as you've gone through, and the Lord has brought you through all this stuff because you've got to be able to minister to all those people that are going to go through what you've been through in these past couple seasons, bro. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. And, I, I, and I'm definitely learning that, th- that this is a necessary learning experience for a lot of young pastors because I think it's only, you know, when you see... I guess simply a model when you see a model you don't like and you don't want to ever be like that. <laughs> it, it really helps you discern like what you want to become and, and, and what you're really looking for and what you really want in a ministry and the kind of minister that you want to become yourself, you know? And, and um, I, I remember I, I heard it said that it was in the house of Saul that David learned to be king, you know? <laughs> and yeah, and, and and by by seeing what Saul was and what what he wasn't and 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 he became something different and unique, you know. And and I'm not saying I'm there yet, or I can say I'm a David, um, but I think that God is still doing a lot in my heart. And so, yeah, looking back, I don't think I have any bitterness. I, I think it is what it is. Um, I and I hope I hope for change. I hope that, especially for the immigrant church um, as a whole, I think that. I really hope that they, you know, open their hearts to the new wine that God wants to pour in this next generation before it's too late, you know, because I know a lot of churches that have to close their doors because there's just not, not a steady, you know, influx of, of younger people that, that want to stay, you know? (laughs) And so, so it's really hard, but I really hope that they wake up to this, new reality you know that god is doing something new and different but but looking back like i just have gratitude um and i have so many fond memories of my time in ministry and i still have all those relationships you know um and and i don't think that'll ever leave me right and so um i'm just thankful for that time yeah that's awesome man well bro in in you know finishing up here i wanted to ask you are there any like piece of advice right, or tips that you would give to other young leaders, right, maybe they're youth pastors, maybe they're worship leaders, like whatever, but they're they're trying to lead, right, in the church, um, what, would you, what would you want to tell them? I think the biggest thing, um, one of the most valuable lessons I've learned in the past, like, seven to eight years is that you're not called to minister to everyone in your ministry, right? <laughs> I... Well, to a certain degree, yes. You know, when you're preaching and they're listening, like, yes, you're ministering to them. But I think that the model of Jesus' discipleship was that, he, he, like, out of the 120 people who were, you know, waiting for the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he only really walked with 12 people 
for the, his entire three-year ministry. And, uh, and, and among those, he, only three of them got to see everything, you know, <laughs> like they got to see his transfiguration and, you know, and, 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 and he really imparted to Peter and John things that he didn't impart to everyone else, you know? And, and so I think that what gave me so such deep anxiety was I thought that if I had a ministry of hundred people, I need to disciple all hundred people. And in an ideal world, like you're, you're a super pastor and you're tremendously gifted. Yeah. You're going to reach, you might reach all of them. Right. But I think that God, God has given all of us grace in certain lives and in, in certain areas. Like for instance, like you, uh, someone like you could disciple worship leaders far better than someone like me could, you know, but I think that God has, given you certain anointings and callings and, and, and graces. And, and, and because of that reason, certain people are drawn to you. And I think that you have to discern where God has given you grace and, and what lives God has given you grace to minister to. And I think that you should spend the majority of your time and energy discipling those that God has given to you and God has given you grace for. Because what you're going to see is that even one disciple that you raise up, um, um, you know, with, with God's grace, you're going to see them multiply in ways that you couldn't do with a ministry of hundred, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I and, and that's why I just don't care about numbers anymore. I really don't, you know, like, cause, cause I found that making one true genuine disciple of Jesus who walks faithfully with them for the rest of their lives is worth more than a thousand people are filling, filling the seats, listening to my sermon and they go home unchanged, you know, <laughs> And, yeah. and so I, I would say just focus on what you're called to do. Focus on the people you're called to minister to. Be who you are called to be. Don't be anybody else. You know, learn, learn from, you know, the mistakes and the successes of others. And, you know, apply that to your ministry. Apply that to your leadership. Apply that to your preaching. But don't become anyone else other than who God has made you to be. And, and, and because I think I've spent... I've wasted too many hours uh, comparing myself to others and being compared to others by, you know, metrics like numbers and metrics like, like what big events you're putting on that I just missed out on so many people who God had given me to disciple right in front of me. Right. And, and, and so now I just look at who, who, who's right here, who's in front of me, who's asking me for help and advice and mentorship and I was like, dude, I'm going to give all my time and energy to those people. Not because I don't care about the others, but God has given me grace right here. And I don't have to look beyond what's in front of what, what's in my hands. Like God didn't ask, God didn't ask Moses, you know, um, like these are all the things that, that you need to do the ministry. He says, what, what, what's in your hand? Like take that staff and let me do a miracle. And, and, and I think that to young ministers, and even if I were to go back and talk to my old self, I would say just focus on the three that are coming to this prayer meeting. Just, yeah. fo- just focus on the one leader who's, who's like, can you help me read the Bible? Uh, can you give me any advice in, in how to disciple younger kids? And, and I would uh, focus on only these people because I think that I, think that I would have borne more fruit through, through just a few who I grace for. And trying to reach an entire ministry. Yeah, that's. I think that's great, great advice. Yeah, that's great, great advice, man. Yeah, and I and I hope that you know. I hope that gives people rest, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that that there's a certain grace that God has a lot allotted to each of us, 
Um, and, and I think that that would have calmed so much of my anxieties about ministry if I had known that. Yeah. That's, that's my greatest piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, I think your experience is, is so valuable and so important for so many other leaders in the body of Christ. So thanks for sharing it with us, brother. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an honor for me to be here. <laughs>